people will be drawn to Jesus because of who Jesus is, yeah. not not that I had to say the right thing. And I think that frees me in sharing the gospel with people that I don't have to, it's not my responsibility to get somebody saved. I can't even do that. Welcome back, everybody, to the Run the Race podcast. We appreciate you joining us. We know you have a lot of uh, choices out there in podcast land. We're, of course, on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple, and you can find all the previous 126 episodes on WTVM.com slash podcast. The last one, I actually did a shorty. It was a, uh, a race recap, my last marathon in Minnesota. And uh, one man that we're talking to today has uh, done a marathon of ministry. And uh, <laughs> Pastor Chuck Odom, who was raised in uh, Columbus, Georgia, which is where we are now. Uh, he's been married to Laurie for the last two years. They have five kids, a blended family, one grandson and a grandson daughter due in January, so his yes. life is about to get a little busier. He's about to spoil another little one yes. out there. Um, he is currently the pastor of the Verge Church, uh, has had that position since 2020. He also works full-time as maintenance and transportation for Easter Seals, a fabulous organization. Uh, he's also the president of Muskogee County Clergy Association, again here in the Georgia area, south of Atlanta. Uh, he's the monthly outreach host of Take the City and also on the board for LifeBridge Child Advocacy Ministry. Uh, in the past, he's worked for an, another great organization, Teen Challenge for Boys in Florida, a 15-month residential treatment program. These are for boys that were ages 11 to 17 with those life-controlling issues, a lot of issues with drugs, alcohol, things like that. Um, before that, he worked with the Florida Department of Juvenile Justice at two uh, different jails. I want to talk to him about that a little bit, maybe how that's uh, led him to uh, maybe you know helping out with ministry and helping out with kids. And then uh, 2003 to 2008, he was at Rivertown Church as a student pastor. And uh, some of his passions include seeing the body of Christ in the Chattahoochee Valley unified across denominations, races, and generations, and working together to advance the kingdom of God. So uh, here you go. Uh, Pastor Chuck Odom, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. I yeah, appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah, and we're going to talk to you about, um, there's some great events coming up, 10th of City, which yep. is, uh, uh, I think, 48 hours straight of praise and worship and really kind of giving it up to God. Yes. And uh, then obviously, we uh, I want to talk to you about the annual uh, 28 and below uh, homeless ministry, because obviously it gets colder uh, as these months go on, and we want to yeah. talk about how folks can get involved in a helping those in need and, and to get warm and get off the streets. Uh, but I want to talk about first, you know, um, obviously as a pastor, you know, uh, your job and really all Christians' jobs are to be, you know, the hands and feet of Jesus and to help those in need, uh, the, the least of these, as, as yeah. Jesus talked about in the Bible. Is when you help them, you're, you're helping me. And so, you know, uh, but how do you, whether it be members of your church, whether it be people maybe you work with or, or your family even, how do you convince or inspire people to, to help others in need when on the other end you're getting nothing in return? Yeah, so it's it's been surprisingly easy to, to, to find people who wanna do that. But I think also because we do that, we attract people like that. And so it really started with the founding pastor of the Birds Church, Tim Harris, um, who also owns Miles to Go restaurants and probably uh, more known for that here locally in Columbus. But he his heart truly was just a generous heart that said, I wanna find needs and meet those needs. Um, and so when I showed up, we've been friends for over 20 years, and um, he brought me in in 2018 as associate pastor, and then two years later turned the church over to me as senior pastor. And so kind of some of the heart of The Verge started in his heart um, and just seeing needs. He was literally a guy that would just kind of look around on Facebook and find people saying, hey, we need this. Um, and then would just say, hey, is there a way that we, th through our, the resources and the relationships that we have, a way for us to meet this? Um, and then we would. And so my heart was always, and Tim's heart as well, was never to, to, to tie strings onto things, but just to find needs and say, hey, we have a way to meet those needs. Can we do that for you? Yeah. Um, and so there has been times where people, you know, thought that there's, oh, there's going to be something I might have to give to the church. I'm going to have to come to a service. And it genuinely for us was just, we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus to people in practical ways and, and find a way to meet an immediate need that you have right now. Um, and then 
whatever that leads to, it leads to. If it leads to nothing, then we were able to bless somebody in the name of Jesus. And that was always the, the heart behind it. And so that's that's what we do. But because we do that, um, I think people just kind of kind of are attracted to people who have like minded missions in their life are attracted to that. And so they come um, and it's been super easy when we get to talk about 28 and below. Like I'll share more of just about how easy that ministry the oversight of that is almost nothing for me, you know, like other than to be involved. And, uh, you know, the perception of churches, and this may be more so from people that don't go to church or maybe they're just seeing it on the news. The perception of church is it's a bunch of people dressed up in suits. Yeah. And you go and you have to follow a bunch of rules. Um, but, you know, I, for those of you, maybe the, the, those that are listening to the podcast and not seeing the video, uh, Pastor Chuck is, you know, bald, but he's got this big <laughs> gray and black beard dressed, you know, just very informally, nice shirt yeah. and, and jeans and boots. And so and does, you know, the, the, there's the philosophy of come as you are. Yeah. But do you think that there is that this competing uh, factor of like the church culture and people have to dress a certain way or you're not allowed in, you know, you think, is that sometimes for you is, is a, a tough thing as a pastor to see that Christianity gets treated that way sometimes? Yeah, I, I think, I think there is variety in the body of Christ. And so I think there is diversity and variety where people can, because there may be people who are looking to say, when I go to church, I want to be dressed up. I want to, I want to, I want to put on my Sunday best and show up. And, and so I think there's places that fit that and so we're we're just happen to be you know come as you are and whatever you know it's fun to say come as you are but the truth is like you couldn't just walk in naked like you know like i mean but we want people to be comfortable would you you sleep in yeah well i guess you could you can come in your pajamas but like um i guess we want people to be comfortable um where they are because the lord wants to meet you where you are like he's not trying to find this better shined up version of you he's not looking to to find a, 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 a clean cut version of you that he can then mold. Like he wants you to come in just busted and broken in the way you are and then meet you there and have a relationship with you. And whatever comes out of that is is the beauty of, of who Jesus is, you know? And you were talking about how, you know, it's it's a, kind of an easy job to be able to kind of get people yeah. to on board with helping others. Um, and do you see that and maybe with the COVID pandemic, what we've been through for the last several years, has that, do you think, has people have stepped up the plate even more so or maybe less so because of COVID? Because, you know, obviously there's this drastic need for, for help on the streets, you know, here yeah. and, and really everywhere. Yeah. So early on, I think there was a mixture that because it was it was new, it was different, it was unknown. And so there was a lot of fear in the beginning of like, you know, I, I want to help, but I'm it's weird to get out there and, and not know what's going to happen. And you're close to people. And so all of that was a, a real factor, I think, for our team. Um, I probably erred on the side of just, Lord, keep me safe um, and really just got out there because I felt like when the pandemic hit was like that was really this is the need now. Like people need stuff. They're, they're not able to leave their homes the way they need to. And so food became scarce and all resources became scarce. And so I really just got involved with not only just our church, but just the, the ministries and organizations in our town that were doing stuff and just got plugged in. And then as the pandemic went on, I think people became more comfortable um, in helping. But I think I think the pandemic caused people to want to help, you know, yeah. like I think I think people saw a need and said, hey, I want to do something about this. And and so that goes for the body of Christ. It goes for people who are even not in the body of Christ, but just see a need and want to meet a need. And so we partner with everybody. We just happen to be we want to exalt Jesus and what we're doing. But the truth is, anybody who's who's looking to help in this community, we want to be a part of. Um, in trying to help, but we're going to always put Jesus first. Absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, talk about partnering and how, you know, there's a wide variety of churches and and Christians and how you do worship and how you do church. So I I know for you, for you and also for like Take the City that you're a part of, a great nonprofit, the the really the the word that kind of, you know, is is towards the top is unity. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, you know, uh, like there's racial divide across the country and there's yeah. racial divide on Sunday mornings. They say yeah. sometimes that's, that's one of the most segregated hours. Um, so, you know, with, with 
you know, uh, the, the differences in, in culture and church and how you do things and the different races. How do you um, kind of, how do we mix all of us together so that we're, even though maybe we have different ideas about how to do it, how do yeah. we, how do we mix? Yeah, great, rela- uh, great question. And I think the answer to it is relationship. Like it's not, if we try, if we're not careful, we'll try to just create experiences, you know, like we'll try to create, like, let's have um, a church of one race and a church of another race do a service together and it'll be beautiful. And it would like it would be a beautiful experience. However, if I say I want to intentionally be in relationship with the body of Christ. And so I have brothers and sisters who are different races, different nationalities, different uh, backgrounds, different socioeconomic groups, like all those things. And they're genuinely my brothers and sisters. And we live in relationship with each other. We'll do more things together because we're connected. Um, And so what I for me, really the the interesting thing was it started um, in the wake of George Floyd for me of just I was no longer comfortable just saying I don't live like that I don't hate people I don't do things like all this whatever you know like the 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 things that you begin to ask yourself when when crazy stuff like that happens and so but I really knew like I know I'm called as a pastor and so I want to stay in that calling but Lord what should my response be um, and so because I was a pastor, the Lord began showing me like you, you need to be crossing those lines with other pastors. And so I felt like I had already was already doing that, but became more intentional about saying like, hey, let's genuinely live in relationship. Like don't not even planning agendas and trying to create events and stuff, but but just live in relationship. And so as that began to happen, we began partnering with churches of different backgrounds and different races and all. And, and so now things that happen through at The Verge happen in partnership most often with other churches and other ministries that don't necessarily look like us at all. Um, and so, but it comes from a place of relationship rather than, you know, the intentionality of just trying to do something that looks good to people and makes us feel good inside. Like it's genuinely saying, hey, the Lord has brought us together because we're one in Jesus, you know? And so because of that, let's just live like that and and, and let the Lord direct what things we do together and what places we run together. And so like, I think that's gotta be the goal is relationship rather than how do we make it look and feel better to people looking into the body of Christ. Like we should just live as the body of Christ, you know? Like we ought to live as one and people will see that and then be drawn to the Lord that made us one. Yeah, and, and a lot of people, you know, that sounds like a great idea and, and having those relationships, but it's not something that you can just kind of snap your finger. That that's yeah. those relationship, it takes time. So, you know, how do you, you know, kind of, how do you empower or try to tell people like, you know, hey, listen, uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to step out of your comfort zone because, you know, yeah. maybe a lot of times, you know, even in, especially in churches, there's cliques, there's, you you have your friends that you've had for a long time and you want to hang out with those friends, but how do you step out of that comfort zone or, or how do you, you know, um, why is that important to do that? Yeah. So I, I, for me, and I don't, I don't, maybe I'm not answering the question right, but um, just guide me if I don't. Um, you'll be great at that. So. I, I think it goes back to just me personally on a personal level of of saying I'm going to be friends with people that um, the Lord directs me to, you know, like regardless of who they are, or where they are. Um, and then I encourage people to do the same. But I think the platform that became available to me, um, part of the calling that I knew was on my life was going to be this unifying uh, piece of bringing together different races. Um, and I never really had a platform of doing that. I just was kind of doing it in my life, but not, but didn't really have a place to like say, oh, this is where I really see this being able to happen. Um, but MCCA, the Muskogee County Clergy Association was an opportunity that came to me that I was totally unaware. I didn't even know it existed. Um, actually at the time of the conversation that I had with Larry Biggers, who was the current president then, um, and just we, he and I sat down, we started sharing our heart for ministry and the kingdom and the body of Christ locally and abroad. And in that conversation, he said, I would like for you to consider being the president of the Muskogee County Clergy Association. And I thought, man, that's a gigantic honor, but I'm also intimidated because I didn't even know you existed a week ago, you know? <laughs> um, and so I, he said, well, pray about it and let me know what you think when, uh, next week when we have a meeting. So we had the meeting, I walked in, he said, what are you thinking? And I said, man, I'm saying yes, unless anybody else who's been around 
wants to hold that position and then I fully yield to, to whoever that is. Um, and so he nominated me. It was a unanimous exception of the nomination and then a unanimous, a unanimous vote to elect me as president. And so that's really, even when I went into that, I said, you know what, I don't come in with any, I, I have no like I don't want to attempt to try to say I know what I'm doing here no yeah like I'm just walking in saying hey let's let's just pray and so we went into this season of prayer really for about 30 days of just saying like hey maybe it was long it was probably closer to two months of just saying let's pray and ask the Lord what he wants to do with this and then let's follow him in doing whatever that is and so we did and as we were doing that the Lord just said I just want you to be a body like, I just want you to be family. And so we started, that's the whole intent of our monthly gathering is just to say, hey, let's walk into the same space and become brothers and sisters like the body of Christ is supposed to be. Um, and it really is, there's no, we don't go in strategizing or planning or creating anything. It's just, let's get in a room and be family. Um, and so we, and then let the Lord direct whatever happens through those relationships. And so want to say last month, the gathering was probably about 30 people and maybe 20 churches represented um, out of that from like Hispanic, black, um, white. Uh, I can't even I, like I don't I know I know those groups were were involved in that. And so like what's beautiful to me about that is that there is no intentionality other than saying, hey, if you have been called to serve in this community in, as part of the body of Christ and you want to connect with others that are doing the same, like let's unite together. And there's people from Phoenix City and uh, Harris County and Columbus all in the same room just saying, hey, let's just love each other. Um, and then all of those people have their own passions, their own visions, their own mission from God that they've been set on in ministry. And so because of that, like we're all, I, I say all the time, we can't come in this room and share a bunch of events because there's a hundred on everybody's calendar you know like yeah. we, there's no way to be a part of all that but let's just be in relationship and allow the lord whatever you're doing if i if i love jason like then when jason says hey the lord's doing we're going to do this this month and the lord highlights that to me i'm just going to say like hey can we be part of that can we hang can we right but the lord's going to lead and direct the the right things um and i think that's better than saying hey we're doing all these things everybody come be a part of this you limit all the people who say well that's not really in line with our mission or what we're trying to do right now or we've got other stuff that's happening that that same time and so i think the idea is just being in relationship that's what brought us together in relationship so if you and i are are, are one it's because of the relationship we have with jesus you know and so that's what that's what made us one and so that's what's keeping us together and so man the the beauty of that to me um, is what draws me back all the time. Like, yeah. what's the what's the main mission or goal? I mean, like you said, it's a relationship and bringing uh, the different churches together in unity. But um, is that really the main mission or goal yeah. for the cl local clergy association? Yeah. So it's it's truly just to unite the body, the leaders, um, Christian leaders in the Chattahoochee Valley area together to serve alongside each other as one. Like. To advance the kingdom in this area you know and everywhere else too but this is where we've been called and this is where we lead and so let's lead together because none of us can do it alone you know and that's what we've tried I think in the body of Christ for so long is for each church kind of doing their own thing and so if you're doing that the problem becomes I see so many needs and you start trying to figure out how do I meet all of these how does our church become an answer to all of these things and the truth is my church the Verge Church doesn't have to like the body of Christ the church um, has lots of answers and lots of resources and lots of uh, ways to meet those needs. And so really all I have to do is find out what is Jason doing at his church. Um, I'm, I'm not making you a pastor right now, but like, <laughs> but what is, what is, you know, what is anybody doing? And if that's already happening well in another ministry, then I don't need credit. I don't need clout. I don't need my name attached to anything. I just see what the Lord's doing in your ministry and then funnel resources and people your way and just say like, Hey, this is already happening. Like I don't have to recreate this in my ministry. I think that's what happens in the body of Christ. Sometimes we become competitive yeah. rather than complimenting each other. Like, Absolutely. We're, yeah. we're we're made to be one like the body of Christ is is is, is <laughs> created to be one like the the bride of Christ is one and so the more we start thinking kingdom 
rather than just our, our, our specific church, the better we'll become as the body of Christ. Well, I want to learn a little more about you. I know, uh, you know, and, and the information you sent me, you were a student pastor for like yeah. five or six years, and then you went the route of, you worked for the Department of Juvenile Justice. I'm not, if you were, were you a corrections officer? Yeah, so I worked as a, as a basically, I don't know, that, that's not what they called it, but, you know, in the juvenile setting, we were called direct care counselors or whatever. Gotcha. Um, some variation of that name. Two years in Florida? For two years in Florida, yeah. I moved down in twenty in 2008, uh, we moved to Florida, and then I worked in the juvenile facility for two years. And what was that like? You know what? It was very different. When you come from just church ministry um, and then step into, for me, it was eye-opening, one, in that it was so real and so raw. Um, and it, it kind of went against my personality type like I'm I, I avoid conflict I don't like getting into uh, confrontational situations and so this required you know kind of this I wouldn't say daily well I guess so like daily you're trying to maintain a group of guys you know order, um, order. yeah and so and and they're there not for being you know <laughs> they, they weren't there for doing the right thing and, and they're so not, they're not willing participants like walking into church they are there because they right right they they were made to be there um and they're they're not necessarily trying to hear about jesus you know so it wasn't like they came like my approach or whatever has to be different in, in that setting um and so really it it grew me in a lot of ways but it also attracted me to the realness like um you can go to church as a youth pastor and sit in a room and it's very easy for people to be fake. You know, it's very easy to just play church. Um, and so we're here. We're not being real honest and open. We're not being real transparent. You know, we're just saying the church things and doing the church things. And so what I loved about being in the prison was that it wasn't it was there. There might have been some faking like who I am and I'm, a, I'm acting tougher than I really am and that kind of stuff. Um, but there was a realness to just this is who I am and I don't care if you see me, just you know? Raw. Yeah, and I and I really, I, I was really drawn to that, I think, you know? And then just that whole environment opened up a new a new view of life for me. Yeah, because for the next uh, seven or eight years after that, you worked for Teen Challenge. So you, you're yeah. in more of a, a little more of a ministry setting, um, helping, this, these are mostly like teenagers or preteen boys. Um, I mean, a lot of it's just kind of addictions, I guess. Yeah. So, well, actually, so in adult teen challenges, you face more of the actual chemical substance addiction and abuse kind of. For the in the juvenile setting, it was more drugs were usually involved somewhere, um, but it wasn't all out addiction most of the time. Um, it was it was behavioral out of control behaviors, out of control in the home. It was getting kicked out of school. It was running away from home. It was it was all a lot of those issues. Um, and so it was for me, what was great about it was I knew early on in my calling that it had something to do with uh, I knew I was called to preach the gospel. I don't know how I knew all this. Like, that's a whole nother conversation. Like it just something in me just knew like the Lord wants me to preach. Like, and I wasn't even following closely after the Lord at the time. It was just something I knew um, and it didn't make sense to me. Um, and I ran, I actually had run away from it for eight well, years. A lot of people do run. Probably. Eight years I spent running in the opposite direction and then answered the call in 2002. Um, and then in 2008, I'm in the jail. 2010, the jail that I'm working at shuts down um, and somebody mentions Teen Challenge and I show up just unannounced and drop the resume off and said, I don't even know if you're hiring, but here's who I am and what I can bring to the table and I'd love to have a conversation. And then spent eight years there, but what was beautiful about it was I, I never knew what the, I, I knew my call had something to do with teenagers in jails, and I just didn't know what the jail piece was until I moved to that particular place in Florida and looked around for employment, and there was mostly farms and jails. And so I applied at all the jails and drove to every juvenile place that was within 40 minutes of me, and, uh, started doing that when it shut down it was like the 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 marriage of ministry and jail uh work that came together in teen challenge because these a lot of those guys were had either already gone to jail or were on their way to jail through their own behaviors and so it became this place to now take the gospel full on um 
in, in, in helping these young guys. And so it was, it was another place for me too, though, because they're at Teen Challenge against their own will. Um, some, some of them knew they were coming. Others, like, some of them came and kind of were like, I'm, I'm willing to do this. Others came like because, you know, my mom and dad said, I'm, this is what I got to do. Yep. And so they're there. But it, but because of that, it kept this realness and this rawness of I don't care about your God. Like, I don't care nothing about this Jesus stuff. Um, and I think I I think I enjoy that. Like, I'd rather you sit at the if we were having a conversation and you were against Jesus, like I would rather you just say, I don't I don't I don't like this Jesus let's stuff. Beat around the bush. Yeah. Like, let's be real. And then I don't have to pound Jesus into you like I'm just but I love Jesus. And so because we're now in relationship, you're going to hear me talk about Jesus, you know, yeah. and. So God used to say at Teen Challenge, like, um, you're just trying to shove Jesus down our throats. And I used to always say, man, I wish it was that easy. Like, I wish I could just open your mouth and stick Jesus in. <laughs> like, that would be so beautiful. But the truth is, you can't do that for anybody. Yeah, I mean, uh, people have to accept it themselves. Yeah. I mean, the Holy Spirit will, I mean, we're just, we're, we're branches, we're avenues, vessels. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, they've, everybody's got to make their own decision, right? Yeah. So, and, and so in that, I carry that with me everywhere now. Like, I... I have no desire to just force people into relationship. I want to be in relationship with people while I'm in relationship with Jesus. Um, and because I'm in relationship with Jesus, our relationship is going to include conversations about my love for the Lord, yeah. you know, and then and then I really trust the Lord to do all the rest. Like I'm going to talk about my story. I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to talk about how I approach life through the through the lens of like, he's my only hope, my only savior. And so I think because of that, like people will be drawn to Jesus because of who Jesus is, yeah. not not that I had to say the right thing. And I think that frees me in sharing the gospel with people that I don't have to, it's not my responsibility to get somebody saved. I can't even do that, you know, like as believers, we, we kind of carry this. If somebody said, hey, let's go out, do outreach, like let's go do evangelism today. Um, let's go tell people about Jesus. There's this thought that as I'm doing this, I now need to see people get saved, you know, like, but the, all of that is up to Jesus. Like all that is up to the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in people. And so really our desire or our responsibility is just to go out and talk about Jesus with people. Yeah, which which sounds easy, but a lot of folks maybe it's, it's maybe it's uncomfortable, it's yeah. awkward, it's something they're yeah. not used to doing. It's like, um, well, what, what, what are they going to think about me? They're going to think I'm yeah. a crazy person, right? Yeah, for sure. I think most Christians are intimidated by the thought of sharing Jesus with people. Like, and that's, that's it's sad, but it, I think it's real. Like, I think most, most don't like the idea of, <laughs> if I called and said, hey, I'm coming to pick you up, we're gonna go tell 10 people about Jesus today. Strangers. Yeah, like just people, or even your friends. Yeah, you yeah, know what I'm saying? Which, like, which, is, which is kind of worse in some Yeah, ways. it's like, it's, it, it just becomes this like, oh, because there's this idea I've got to say the right things. I got to know what I'm doing. Like the beautiful thing I tell people about sharing Jesus is you can just tell your story. Like until you have all the right verses or whatever, you know, whatever that would mean, like just tell your story. Like the woman that Jesus met at the well, like he tells her about her life and has this encounter with her and then tells her who he is and reveals to her that like I'm the, the promised Messiah that was to come. And she goes immediately from there and goes to start telling people, come meet a man who told me everything about me, like yeah. told, told me everything about me. Like, you got to come meet him. She knew nothing else. Like the, the same with the, uh, the guy that was uh, delivered of demons, you know, like the, there was no come to some classes, learn how to tell the gospel. Like it was just like, go tell people what's happened to you today when Jesus healed, you know, just go tell somebody what at happened. At first he was like, you know, hey, don't tell anybody. Right. But then right. all of a sudden, and there were like even times, even yeah. as it was happening, like he was still saying, hey, don't don't say anything yet. But like the, that's the beautiful thing about it. When the Lord truly has transformed you, it's hard to, to be quiet about it. You sure. know, like you're, you're just going to talk about it. And so I tell people, talk about what you do know. Don't don't dwell on what you don't know. Like don't don't spend a, a bunch of ang anxious moments trying to figure out like, oh, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to say that. Like, perfect, yeah. yeah, like just just love on Jesus in front of people and, and let him do the rest. Yeah, that's that's, that's definitely a good <laughs> philosophy. And from your background, you know, working you know in the jails, working in Teen Challenge, you obviously um, you know you've seen a different perspective on crime that maybe a lot of maybe pastors have not seen. And and some folks, you know, um, maybe. 
you know, that are outside the church or inside the church say, well, you know, hey, we have these crimes, whether they be mass shootings or even crime here yeah. in Columbus. And they say, well, the church needs to step up and do something about it, you know. And, I mean, everybody needs to do something about it. But do, what do you think about that? Yeah. Do you think the church has a role in helping to deal with, like, you know, you know, juvenile issues or crime that happens where we live. Yeah, I think there's a responsibility first and foremost to pray. And that can sound like a cop out um, a lot of times if you truly don't believe that prayer is my voice being heard by God in heaven. You know, like I think I think even as a pastor several years ago, I didn't understand the weight of prayer, like not the not the burden of prayer, but like just the, the, the fact that I can open my mouth and pray and the God of heaven hears my voice. How powerful. Yeah, so, so incredibly powerful. So the, the collective voice of others praying is such a huge thing. But I also think, um, man, I am, I am convinced of relationships. And so I think relationships being uh, mended in the community, relationships being mended in the families, relationships being mended um, in the church um, is is the answer to that. Like if I can go out and have relationships with people who don't see the same thing, who don't see things the same way as me, who have a different political opinion, who have a different uh, ex- history of life, you know, like, and then genuinely listen to the stories and say like, hey, these are real people with real stories and real burdens. Like, um, I think the, the, the response is not go out and try to fix everything, but do what you can in the in the things that God leads you to. If that even makes sense, I don't have yeah, a no, great no. way to say it. Like, I, if I go out and I'm meeting people and they say, "Hey, here's where I'm hurting," I'm looking not for what I can't do, but what can I do? Um, and so I don't get burdened down and bogged down in all. Oh, I can't fix this. I can't do this. Like, what can I do today to make a difference in this moment? Um, and maybe that's just loving somebody where they are. Maybe it's just listening, you know? Maybe it's like, I don't have a bunch of money. However, I've got a little and you've got a little and somebody else has got a little and somebody, and and together we have so much more. And so I say a lot of times we're better together um, than we ever could be apart, you know? And so I think just hearing where people are hurting and then responding to those hurts because those are the conversations that the Lord has allowed me to have. Those are the converse, those are the encounters that the Lord's allowed for me. And so I think responding to those encounters is what's necessary. But yeah, I think, yeah, I think relationship is, is the answer. You know, I think Jesus is the answer and I think the church is the answer, but I think all of that happens through relationship with Jesus that then makes us one and together. And genuine relationship with Jesus and genuine relationship with other people, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And so for me, I, I like I'm always going to say Jesus. Like and so because there's a lot of practical things that you could do that would like not be spiritual necessarily. But in the end, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And so for me, I don't want to just be in the business of meeting practical needs without glorifying the Lord in it. You know, like there's always though there's no strings attached that you have to do any of this, my heart is attached to it. And my heart says, I want Jesus to be glorified. Even because I don't require you to sit and listen to the gospel when I do something for you, you know, but like my heart says, Jesus is the answer, man. Like, and so I think me carrying that into everything doesn't doesn't make me say, I don't have to do anything. I'll just trust Jesus and he'll hopefully he'll work your situation out. Like I'm going to do everything that the Lord's telling me to do as I'm having this conversation with you, you know, like whatever the Lord wants to say to you, whatever the Lord wants to do through me, like I want to, I want to be available that way. Same, same thing you saw Jesus do. Like he didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't, this is going to, this sound, this could be a little weird, but like he wasn't, he was addressing the moments that he had with people, you know, like he, he addressed what he needed to in those moments. He wasn't trying to fix everything in their life except through relationship, you know, like come to me and I'll give you, I'll give you living water. I'll, I'm the bread of life. And so all these things that Jesus is like, he's the answer. Yeah. And, and, you know, as it says in the Bible, I mean, faith is obviously great and that's it's, but faith without works is dead. Right. So you, you there needs to be some proof. There needs to be some, uh, you know, 
some some meat and potatoes part of that yeah. as well. Um, and you were talking about partnering. You've been married for the last two years. Yeah. You're still a young man, but getting married <laughs> a little later in life. Yeah. A blended family. What's that like? I mean, you've got, so you have um, kids ages 17 to 28. Yeah. So what's that like? Is it the Brady Bunch? <laughs> no, you know, no, they're like, older now, so. yeah, you you would love to, to, to for things to be kind of neat and, and beautiful and, and organized and nothing is off. <laughs> but the truth is we're real people. And so like we step into this. So my wife is uh, fantastic. One, she loves Jesus, and so she runs in ministry with me. And so that's that's, that's been the beautiful part of it. We both have been married before um, and went through divorces, and that's horrible and devastating. And that's a whole other conversation of how kind of divorce affected our lives and our children. And um, but and and we were both actually content to never be married again. Um, and then the Lord led us to each other and. Here we are today, married for two years. Um, but so our, so we blended our families, um, and that's come with all the beauty and all the chaos that you would want it to come with, you know, like that you would expect. Like, um, it's not a picture-perfect thing. And I think the enemy hated what was happening in our relationship, um, and so obviously began to attack that. Like on the night of our wedding, we got married and headed out on the honeymoon and got in a rear end collision on the interstate that totaled a vehicle and um, <laughs> didn't didn't affect us other than just, you know, some aches and pains. But from immediately from the start, um, even as we were dating, we saw just a- attacks beginning to happen in our, in our families, with our kids, with our health and just different stuff. And so it, and that's that's continued. But here's what I tell people, like there should be an attack on your life. Like there should be something that's happening that the, the enemy sees and says, I want to stop you're this. You're running towards God. Yeah, man. Like I, years ago, I was kind of on the lawnmower, on a riding lawnmower, just praying. I, I hear God better sometimes when I'm either on a lawnmower or fishing by myself, um, like because I think it's just something about the sound of the mower or something about being still and just being able to hear better. Um, But I remember just thinking about the attacks um, on my life in that time and the Lord showing me that if, if, if there were no attacks, that would mean there's nothing worth attacking, you know, like there's nothing for the enemy to come at. So I tell people all the time, our lives should live under attack, but we have victory in Jesus. So what can the enemy do to me? You know, I mean, worst case scenario, somebody could walk in here and shoot me and kill me. That's worst case scenario, really for you, for the people that love me, like, but it's best case scenario for me. Like to die today is far better than me living for me. Like Paul said, like it's better for me to die and go be with the Lord. Um, but my family would hate that, you know, like right, people, yeah, people yeah. who count on me would hate that. People but like, hurt, yeah. but what can the enemy really do? Nothing. You know, like he can try to stop stuff and he should. Like I want to be doing things that are that are so important to the Lord and so important to the kingdom that the enemy takes notice. You yeah. know, and I think we should live our lives that way. And because, I mean, we're only here for a certain amount of time. I mean, it's like it's like a blink. We, we think like, oh, man, 80 years is a long time. But yeah, really in the grand scheme. We make we make so much of this life. And the truth is this this life is short um, and can it just crazily short in comparison to eternity, you know, Um, but this is the only life we have. And so for me, like I think about that as I'm doing things and as I'm as I'm living for the Lord in this life, like this is the only shot I got, you know, like after this, it's eternity and everything's beautiful. But I want this life to matter. You know, I think that was part of me coming to the Lord was going to my grandfather's funeral um, in 2001 um, and just listening to people talk about his life and the impact he had made and just the the difference he had made because he was a pastor for so many years and just loved Jesus and listening to people talk about him I knew if I were to if that were me in that in that casket today like this is not the stories you know like there would be nice stories and he was a fun he was funny he was you know all this stuff but it wasn't going to be things that mattered what's your legacy yeah man and so as i heard people talking about my grandfather a guy got up and said no man that's ever walked the face of this earth has been perfect except jesus christ then he said but jc yodem came as close as any man's going to ever come and i thought what a huge thing to say about somebody you know and i thought anything you could possibly say about me would pale in comparison to that thought for me. Um, and it was a, a, a year later, 
really, man, that in an incredible way, the Lord just woke me up in the middle of the night one night and I surrendered my life to him. Yeah. Um, but that that it came from that place, you know, and here I am now, a fourth generation pastor um, who was seemed seemed very content to, to not be that guy, you know, yeah. but now. Jesus is everything to me, man. God kept sending you the neon sign. Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, that didn't work. Oh, okay. We're yeah. Gonna, we're gonna send. We're gonna tell Chuck this. You know, and see yeah. if that works. So the annual uh, the twenty eight and below homeless ministry. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of cold, um, you, we want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, what do you guys do? So obviously uh, here in Georgia, it doesn't. It's still kind of warm around here. Yeah. In Alabama as well, but uh, but it's going to get cold, and there's people that are on the streets, and they really have nowhere else to go. I mean, there's shelters in different places, but how, yeah. where do you guys fill the gap there? Yeah. So again, this started in the heart of Tim Harris, who founded the Verse Church. Like. Um, years ago, and I'm not even sure how long ago, somebody died in the cold, like out in the cold. And it just, it wrecked him because what he realized was we have this big building with heat in it. There should be nobody who has to sleep outside and die in the cold. Um, and that kind of was the, the, the beginning of let's do something. Um, and that, that turned into like, let's just open the building up, go out, pick people up when, when it's cold. Um, and bring them in. And so I think some of the lessons learned then were you can't do everything um, and you can't you can't do it as well um, if you do it alone. And so they began partnering with Safe House um, and opening kind of as an overflow shelter to Safe House. Um, and so that's what we continue to do, but we limit. So Safe House is anybody can come, no questions asked, like nobody's turned away, anybody can come. So we're more selective because our resources are far fewer. Um, and we want to do really well what we do. And so we, uh, we've we had up to, I think in the last few years, up to 20 um, on a night. But what we do is get the word out ahead of time, kind of what's going on. We've been doing it long enough now that we really don't even have to go out and announce. Like people just know if Safe House opens up overnight, the Verge Church is gonna open up as well. And so we had our own facility that we were renting um, out on River Road and we're bringing people to that and then in 2020, we moved out of that facility and into the Take the City building on 2nd Avenue um, in partnership with them. And so we had no space to do it. And so we reached out again. I knew that I knew that the Lord wanted to use me as a partnering pastor and us as a partnering church. Um, and so that's how we've operated ever since we moved out of that building and gave all of our stuff away. Um, and so I reached out to Matt Stevens, who's the pastor at the Fort Church, and just said, hey, we've got this ministry that we do. We don't really need volunteers and stuff to do it. We just need a place to be able to do this. Um, and he immediately opened the doors to the fort um, on at Eastern Heights. And so we started using their facility last winter um, and did that. So what we do is any, usually it's about 24 hour notice that we kind of know when uh, Neil Richardson, who's the director of Safe House, sends out the email saying, hey, we're gonna be open uh, tomorrow night for cold weather show or cold weather uh, ministry. And so, we get the word out to our team and immediately they put things into place. And so uh, people start figuring out what supplies we need and what foods we need and how, what meal we're gonna have and cooking that, cooking that stuff and getting the things together. And so we provide transportation. We have pickup locations throughout town uh, that we go and pick up people who are either homeless or without, sh uh, without heat. So some people have a place that they could go lay down, but there's no heat there. Um, and so we make the space available for them to come and they can take a shower, they can uh, get clean clothes and a uh, hygiene bag and we wash their clothes overnight while they sleep. Um, and so whatever they came in with, we wash and dry and put back together for them. Um, they, they, can, they sleep in a warm bed, they have a hot meal. The, the most fun for me is just, the guests can come in and do whatever they wanna do. Like they can, they can come in and immediately go to sleep. Um, they can come in and eat and hang out. Uh, we play games, we do different stuff. We've done karaoke, we've done just a little bit of whatever, but the truth is none of that is anything that they have to participate in. Like we just wanna, we want them to have options. You You're know? providing them the basic necessities during a time when I mean, they could die in this dangerous right. cold weather. Yeah, and so, but some of my favorite times in our team, if they were telling you about stories of what 28 and Below has done over the last several years, would be the conversations that we've had at the table, like just sitting with people and hearing their story and talking to them. And because there's no, again, there's no agenda when they come in that, that you have to do this other than hear the rules. Um, and we give people the option to, hear the rules and agree to them and stay or hear the rules and say, I, I don't, I, I'm not gonna be able to do that. Um, 
and then we will provide transportation back to the, the pickup spot. Um, but watching, sadly enough, there is chronic homelessness um, in our community and there are people who have mental health issues and drug addictions um, and alcohol addictions. And so there's people who have for years been on the street off and on, you know? And so, but again, I love that our team is in this for the longer haul, you know, like we're in it for the relationships. And so there's people that we have relationships with um, that are still stuck in these cycles and in these patterns, um, but we're still there to love them where they're at and what and in what they're going through. And then we've also been able to have people who have come through that ministry, then come to our church and gotten off the streets and gotten help that they needed. And so and, and seen those people give their lives to the Lord and be baptized. And so all those things are fantastic and beautiful, you know, but like whether that happens, that's the goal. We want to see people fall in love with Jesus and then let Jesus do the rest of the work. Yeah. Um, but whether that happens or not, our people look forward to the nights that are going to be cold and we get to be open, you know? And so there's even some disappointment sometimes when it only drops to 32 or whatever, which is still cold. Like if you're sleeping outside, 47 is cold. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. Like overnight, your body's still and your blood ain't flowing like that's cold. And so we know that we're not in those moments specifically fixing something, um, but we're being obedient to love people where they are, you know? And I think that's what keeps drawing us back. And so we've had a lot of people because of what we do that give resources, you know, like rarely is it money, but sometimes it is, but mostly it's people have things, you know, they have clothes. And so we, our desire for how we treat our guests is that they would, that they would truly feel valued and appreciated when they leave. So I like, we don't want to give them raggedy towels and raggedy clothes and just, oh, be happy you got something to put on. Like, that's not how Jesus loved us, you know? And so for us, we want it to be stuff. It doesn't have to be brand new, but stuff, and sometimes it is, you know, but like stuff that, that I tell people, if you wouldn't put your kids in it, please don't bring it to us to yeah. put on them. Like we want it to be something that we can hand to them that says, hey, they see me. They know, they, 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 they love me and they appreciate me. Yeah. Um, and so that's been the heart of, of 28 and Below, man. And it's, it's one of the easiest things to oversee just because the team is so into it. Like um, it literally, I, I, I sent a text out to the team that just says, hey, we're open tomorrow um, and they make the rest happen. I just get to show up and kind of hang out and be with people. Enjoy the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. And I know we've talked a lot about like, you know, loving people where they're at, maybe helping those in need. And you talked earlier about the, uh, the power of prayer. One last question for you. You know, there's an event coming up. Uh, yep. uh, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be this Friday through Sunday, 48 hours of continuous prayer and worship under a tent called yeah. um, Tent the City. Um, and a similar things happening across the nation, but it's happening to take the city off of Second Avenue in Columbus. It's kind of been an annual tradition, and yeah. different uh, you know musicians and singers and groups come and kind of lead worship, and, and people can kind of come and go. And and uh, so for for you as a pastor, and, and just maybe for Christians in general, yeah. how important is praise and worship? And, and I mean, yeah. not maybe not just in a uh, church Sunday morning or Wednesday night setting, but just in general. Yeah. So if if I I believe that Jesus is the answer. Like, so the Bible says that, you know, when we lift up Jesus, he'll draw people to himself. And so I think it's vitally important that we, that we always operate from a place of prayer and praise um, because he's worthy. Like if nothing else, he saved me and he's worthy of eternal worship and prayer. Like he's a worship and praise. Like he's eternally worthy of it. And so I think for us to do it collectively and intentionally um, in that just kind of this this collective display. It's not even so that people see it, but I but I love that people see it. I love that it's outside and people can see that there are people who love the G, love Jesus and want to worship Him and pray in the middle of the night and in the, in the early hours of the morning yeah. and late in the afternoon and all Spend these your things. Time doing that. Yeah, and I think an, if we're not staying connected to the Father. Um, then er all of our efforts would be in vain. You know, like if it's, if it's not coming from a place of prayer and worship um, of him and who he is, like all of the rest of it is, it would be good stuff. It would be, it would be helpful and beneficial to people, um, but it wouldn't be 
an eternal impact. Um, and I think we miss it. So yeah, I think what what's beautiful about not just that weekend, but that's happening all the time at Take the City. And so there there's a house of prayer inside Take the City where our church actually um, holds services um, that's open Sunday, mo- or Monday through Saturday from eight in the morning to eight at night. Yeah. Um, and so that's happening all the time. But I think this is a, a, a time again for, what I love about it too, I think, is that there's not a whole lot of pressure. Like I just show up anytime, you know, like even if I'm leading, really all I'm doing is I'm coming there to just pray and worship and honor our, our, our father. And so like um, coming together with others to do that is just even more fun, you know, yeah. like, but I've done it in a room by myself. I've done, we, you know, sometimes the house of prayer is just a, a, a person praying and a person, sing, a, a person singing. Um, and then the presence of God being there too, like, and, and <laughs> early on it felt weird to me. Um, but then the more we did it, you know, there was times where I was like, I love that it's just me and you and Jesus in this room. It's you know, quiet. it's like being yeah. fishing, right? <laughs> but but I think the coming together, October fourteenth through sixteenth, like, um, man, is is phenomenal. I think not only um, does it bring us together into one space, like um, it's it's also lifting up God in that space. And so on Second Avenue, anybody who's familiar with Columbus knows like there's, there's that's a needed thing. Um, like there's lots of needs in the Mill District, you know? Um, and so the Lord's done some incredible work, but he's not done. Um, and so I think what's beautiful about it too is like it's just this, this <laughs> this unity of people coming together saying, hey, we, we are truly one. Um, yep. And so we're gonna, we're gonna close off, our church specifically is in, involved in the, the closing um, out of it on Sunday from four to six. There's a unity service that's gonna happen um, in that time where there'll be prayer and worship and gospel proclamation. And we'll um, have baptisms and maybe even communion. I'm, try, I'm just throwing, I don't even know that it's been talked about, <laughs> but, but, but we do may it. do it. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, it'll be just different pastors from, there's no agenda. There's nobody saying, oh, I, I want, I want the stage and I want to do this. Like, I think we've got to get past all of that, you know, that just says, man, I want to just be part together with the body of Christ or whatever the Lord wants to do in this area. And so I think that's part of what you'll see happening, uh, this weekend, man, at, yeah. at Tent the City. I want to say this too about Tent the City. So on, on Saturday, there's actually an outreach element oh, attached yeah, yeah, to, um, night, yeah. so Saturday at five, we'll meet together at the tent, um, and have prayer and worship. And then we're going out into four different teams, um, that are having outreach events in different spots uh, around the, the community. And so our church is going to partner with uh, one of those groups and, and we're going to do a cookout, I think, in the East Highland neighborhood um, and just love people in the name of Jesus and let him do the rest. But like, so you can come and be a part of not just the prayer and worship, but also the outreach yep. that's going to happen then. And food uh, is always a good draw for folks. You know? food, food's a good draw. There'll be a lot of prayer happening. And speaking of prayer, I usually close out each podcast episode with with prayer, I'd love for you to close us out. I'd love to pray for us, yeah, man. Be great. Thank you. So, Lord Jesus, we just thank you right now. First of all, uh, for you, most of all for you, Lord Jesus, that you are uh, our King. So, I thank you right now, God. I thank you that you see the Chattahoochee Valley, that you love this region, that you love its people, Lord God, that you desire worship from this uh, community, Lord God. So, I thank you. Um, I ask that you would be over the, all the things that are planned, uh, not just with Tent the City this weekend, God, but all the things that you're doing in this community, Lord God. Bring us together as one. Uh, let us truly unite and serve our King and our community as one in the body of Christ, Lord God. I thank you right now for who you are. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Pastor Chuck Odom, for thank your generosity you, with your time. It's great yeah, to see man. you. And thanks for all that you're doing for the kingdom of God. I mean, you got your hands in different things. And like you said, you're just kind of following the leading of the Lord. And, you know, you're not just kind of saying, well, I'm a pastor of this church and I can't do anything else. It's just kind of trying to kind of um, do all that you can while balancing, you know, jobs and <laughs> balancing family, family everything yeah. else. So, yeah, so we appreciate all you do. I appreciate you, man. Thanks right. so much.